0: this morning when we came in, it smelled like ethnic food in this room. I don't know if you caught that, you picked that up. Uh, we feel really lucky to be in a place where uh, the community is here all the time. Uh, I get asked all the time, uh, how long till you get a building? And I often say it's not even on the horizon. Uh, if you asked me to design a church, I would say I would love to design a seven-day-a-week community center where we got to own Sunday mornings. And guess what? That's what we got. Um, and sometimes we walk into a building like this and it's not ready for us or it's still got the remnants of whatever happened last night. Or we're here cleaning chairs because there was glitter all over them. I'm just <laughs> throwing it out there because there was some sort of wedding that was going on last night. We count ourselves lucky. We count ourselves blessed. We, we see this as God, God's hand that we are in a place where the community is active and present all the time. And uh, it's really part of our DNA to be reaching out to um, the community. We're all about community at this church. I hope you've seen that even this morning. But we're also all about the community. And here we are placed in an incredible place. And if you would start praying um, already about our fall launch, uh, it's just more likely that people will uh, go and visit a church in the fall. It just It's part of the rhythm as we get back into the school calendar, work calendar, as we close the cabins as we uh, are more present in our regular schedules, that people will come and visit this place. And I want to make sure that we are praying for the community to be showing up here. I mean, we'll be out there marketing, and we'll be encouraging you to invite people, and we'll be reaching into the community. But, like, are we ready? Are our hearts ready? Are we praying about the connections that we can make? Are we hoping to see people come and join us here uh, not again, because we want our numbers to grow, but we, we want to make a difference with the gospel in the lives of people who don't know Jesus, and they're they're right outside the doors. I mean, I don't know. Drive around in this neighborhood right o- outside our doors. There are apartment buildings. There's low income housing. There are, um, you know, there are trailer parks. There is middle class housing out there. It's it's all kind of this mishmash of a lot of different kinds of people and we have the opportunity to reach them with the gospel. That is our goal. That's what we're trying to do. So would you continue to pray about that with me, and think about who in the fall you know in your life who needs to have a church home, who needs community in their life, who wants to be part of the mission of something greater than themselves, who wants some purpose, and invite them to come to church with you. Do the do the work of doing outreach to invite somebody to come with you, and so I'm just asking you to start praying about that now, because we'll be Uh, pushing hard in the fall to really be meeting and reaching out to a lot of new people that really didn't have anything to do with the sermon uh, but it's just something that's been on my heart and so uh, today we're picking up the the uh, series here with we're going through the story of Jacob and uh, a lot of times when you're doing verse by verse and working through a passage which is what we try to do most of the time here at Pursuit every once in a while we're going to do a topical sermon because God lays something on my heart or we feel like there's something we need to deal with that is not necessarily in the flow of a passage um, and we're going to deal with those things as they come but most of the time we'd rather let God speak to us through his word and work through passages so we get the background and the context and we understand the full breadth of the story we understand the arc of what God was doing through the Old and New Testament these are really important things to us we want to put the Bible in its context and let it speak for itself I don't want to stand up here and give you just like my five favorite things to talk about all the time. um, Because most of you would probably leave. (laughs) You'd be like, he's actually really shallow. I don't think he really has much to say. The word has tons to say. We're going to let it speak. Um, And so every once in a while you find yourself in a passage that you would never choose to preach. That's where we're at today. All right. (laughs) If you came to church wanting to know about how to increase your flocks of sheep, we're going to get the nitty-gritties of that today, okay? So get your notes ready. Take those notes. And I don't know. Some of you guys might be shepherds. I don't know. Maybe there's a shepherd in here somewhere, and you're thinking, how do I get more sheep in my life? Well, I'm going to show you what it looks like today. Uh, we're picking up the story where Jacob has basically uh, torpedoed his life by stealing uh, and cheating his family out of the birthright uh, that, that they had for his older brother, and then run away and... And uh, taken refuge with his uncle, who is not a good person, uh, who has then become his father-in-law as he's married into the family uh, twice, actually two different daughters. Uh, It's really getting complicated. But he essentially at this point has four wives that are all having children in a competition to see who can have the most. Uh, He's got 11 boys and one girl. And uh, he's got a very difficult life as far as trying to balance all this stuff. And we saw last week... He (laughs) essentially, hey, it's a big family here, Uh, he essentially is trying to balance all this and not doing a great job. Uh, um, He has become sort of like a breeding stud for these four women in his life who are trying to compete to have, I'm not making this up, who are trying to compete to have more children than the other ones. And he's been traded for mandrakes, okay? Go back and listen to last week if you're like, what does that even mean? Uh, It's not great. And so we're picking this up uh, and He's got this huge family and he's worked for 14 years to sort of earn the right to be married to his wives, which we talked about was actually um, sort of extortion it's not an appropriate amount of time uh, for what was what was gained out of that and so his his father-in-law uncle has been taking advantage of him as he's been extorting years of labor out of him and his wives are using him to basically have more children and procreate they're essentially uh, selling him to each other for—you can't make some of this stuff up. So, but he's been crunching the numbers and he's been thinking this doesn't work. I got eleven—no, I got twelve kids. I got eleven boys and one daughter. I've got four wives. I got a lot of things to take take care of, and I'm working for free still. Now, I don't know how many of you have worked for free for fourteen years for somebody. Uh, the numbers don't add up. And I think a lot of us, um, if you have a young family or if you're in that place, if you remember having a young family, at some point you start to crunch the numbers to see how this is all going to work. And a lot of times you find yourself in a situation where the numbers just don't seem like they're going to make any sense. I, I, You start thinking, should I get a different job? Should I go and talk to my boss about a uh, raise? Should I? What should I do here? Should we make sure that, you know, like are we – Maybe uh, we need two incomes here, or maybe we need to both change jobs. or like, So you're thinking through kind of how this all works. I think this is a pretty common place that many of us have been at some point. And so that's kind of where we're picking up the story. And so he's going to go and talk to Laban about basically starting to get paid. Hey, maybe it's been long enough that I should probably get paid something, okay? So here we go. It says, after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, his father-in-law uh, and his boss, Send me on my way so I can go back to my own household. Give me my wives and children for whom I have served you, and I will be on my way. You know how much work I've done for you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. So this is kind of a weird uh, deal because essentially you've got Joseph who's now kind of trying to talk about cashing out. He's thinking about going out on his own. He goes to Laban. and He starts the conversation. And he's starting kind of where I think any of us, if we're standing in front of the mirror and practicing to talk to our boss, you'd be like, all right, uh, so I've been working really hard, and I've been doing a really good job. I have great performance reviews, right? Like, things are going well. Um, you know, trying to make yourself valuable before you start asking for what you need. And Laban cuts in, and he says, hey, before you go any further, I just want you to know, like, I learned by divination that you're the reason why things are being blessed around here. That actually, I'm being blessed not because of the relationship I have with the gods that I serve. We... We actually find out later that Laban's been serving other gods, not the God of uh, Abraham and Isaac, right, but the gods that he serves. And he finds out through divination that he's being blessed because Jacob is working for him. Now, divination is this weird thing. It's actually um, uh, occultic. It's it's, it's definitely uh, not something that God ordains, but it's a way of sort of telling the future using other spirits and powers and principalities that God does not bless, God is not in. Um, And so we see Laban doing things that are way outside the scope of what God would want him to do. In fact, in Deuteronomy 18, it says there shall not be found among you anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens. I couldn't be any more clear. You don't go to divination. This would be like modern day us going into a fortune teller and saying, tell me the future. That's essentially what it is. And it's probably even darker than that at at this point in history. The people that you would go to would be pretty creepy, would be pretty bad. It'd be pretty much against what God would want you to do. And we see this kind of play out even in the New Testament, right? In Acts, Paul and Silas are traveling in Philippi. They come across a slave girl who has a spirit of divination, and she's essentially making money for her masters by being able to tell the future. And at one point, they actually cast the demon out of her that tells the future, and then she's worthless to her bosses, to her owners, she can't make them money anymore by telling the future because now this demon has been cast out of her. So this is not a good thing. This is essentially like saying, hey, I went and asked the demons to tell me why things are so blessed, and they told me it's because God is with you and you are with me. Like, it's a really backwards way of thinking, and it really shows you the difference between Laban and Jacob. It shows you where Laban is at. Right? First Samuel compares divination to the sin of rebellion, And this is the idea of not giving God ultimate authority, but actually going outside of God to try to find out the future. Um, And God seems to be using divination to tell Laban who he is. It's kind of a weird roundabout way to communicate with Laban. Like, hey, take your hands off of Jacob. He's the reason you're being blessed. I want you to know I'm with him and he's with you right now. And that's why your herds are increasing. That's why things are going well in your life. Be careful. Tread lightly around your relationship with Jacob. Um, And it's kind of a weird Uh, Way of uh, This all coming full circle here So then it goes on it says he added Name your wage and i'll pay them So this is laban saying go ahead and tell me what you want to make And i'll pay it now We know he doesn't mean this He's a cheater. He's uh, The he's the deceiver of deceivers He has deceived Jacob every step of the way up to this point So when he says name your wage And I will pay them what he really means is you could say whatever you want here I'll find a way around it Okay, and we're going to see that in a second. It says, you know how I've worked for you uh, and how your livestock has fared under my care. This is Jacob. The little you had before I came has increased greatly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, when may I do something for my own household? So he's like, hey, Laban, uh, by the way, I just, I've just i got a lot to, to deal with and a lot to take care of, and I need wages. I can't go on anymore working for free. I've already worked 14 years for you. I've accomplished what you've asked me to accomplish. And by the way, when I've been in charge of your flocks, you've become rich. You have really gained over the things that I've done. I've made you prosperous and all you've done is extorted years of service out of me. Right? And it's not even that you've extorted years of service out of me. You've extorted them from your daughters and from your grandchildren. You've used me and used your daughters and used your grandchildren as leverage in my life to keep me working for you for free so you could become rich. It's a really really messed up way. And in fact, there's um, there's a verse in Proverbs that talks about uh, a wise man would leave a, a, a legacy, a, uh, something to the next generation and the next generation after that. Like Laban's legacy is not great. He's taking advantage of his daughters, his son-in-law, and his uh, grandchildren. Laban has, we'll see in a minute, changed his wages 10 times during those 14 years. So he can't be trusted. Um, and I think there's an opportunity here for Jacob. Essentially, he's out with these flocks. He could could be siphoning off. He could be cheating. He could be saying, you know what? I'm owed this. I deserve this. This makes sense, so I'm going to actually cheat my way into getting something for myself. I'm going to do what I know is wrong so that way I can get justice in this situation. I don't know if you've been in this situation before, but all of us have probably worked for a boss who didn't have our best interest in mind who was essentially using us or was getting all the credit for stuff that we were doing, or we found ourselves in an unjust situation. And Jacob actually seems like what he's been doing here has been God honoring. He's put his head down. He's done what he said he would do. He's worked as hard as he could, and he's seen everything increase. He's seen God bless him in a bad situation, in an unjust situation, doing what he should be doing. When we find ourselves in situations like that with bosses who don't care or aren't sharing the credit or, you know, it's an unjust situation. We're not getting paid enough. People are getting rich off of the work that we're doing. At some point, we have to stop and say, I'm not working for this person. Uh, everything that I do as a Christian is tied to my relationship with God. I mean, Paul talks about it later on in the New Testament. Like, look, what you do is for God. It's not for man. When you are doing the right thing, when you are putting in the labor, where you have your head down, where you're doing what you're called to do, God sees that. God's in that. He wants you to to continue to do what's right, no matter what the situation is, no matter what sense of justice you feel like you are owed, God will take care of the scales later. God will give people what they are deserved later. And he's called us to be, uh, you know, faithful to what we say we will do, even in situations that are unjust. If you're in a situation right now where you just like, you hate where you work, you hate your boss, you hate the situation that you're in, you feel like it's unjust, God has called you to plow ahead. Now, go find another job if you need to, right? Don't Create boundaries in your life. Don't let people take advantage of you. But God has called us to be faithful of things that we said we would do. And that's what Jacob has been doing. He's been working for free to hold up his end of the bargain, even in an unjust situation. And There's no way out for him except for him to continue. And God has blessed his work. Everybody has been blessed because of what he does. It's almost like a, a precursor to the person of Joseph, if you go ahead in, in the story, uh, to the, one of his sons. Essentially, every place Joseph was, God blessed. Every place Joseph was, Joseph did great work. And Joseph found himself in a jail and sold as a slave and in all these situations that were unjust, and yet he worked as though he were working for the Lord, and God blessed him even in those moments. And so if you're in one of those situations, I'm just encouraging you to, to do what is right to do what you need to do for God, not for man, right? And then if you need to find a way out of that, then you ask God to show you where where he wants you to go. But he's called you to be faithful even in moments where it feels unjust. And so Jacob could have played games. He could have siphoned off. He could have tried to go do an end around, which is what his family is known for, doing an end around of what God's doing. But he put his head down. He worked as though he were working unto God. It goes on. What shall I give you? He asked. Uh, Then Jacob replied, don't give me anything, but if you will do this one thing. So Jacob's like, "Uh, I know I can't trust you with a wage because we've already had this conversation and 10 times you've changed it and you're not going to follow through on it and you're not going to pay me. So I'm actually going to set up a boundary here. I'm not going to ask you for a wage. I'm going to ask you for something kind of weird. He says, but if you'll do this one thing, I will go on tending your flocks. I'll watch over them. Let me go through all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark colored lamb, every spotted or speckled goat. They will be my wages and my honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you have paid me, any goat in my possession that's not speckled or spotted or any lamb that's not dark colored will be considered stolen. And Laban is like, sucker, I got you. Yes. Greed, said Laban. Let it be as you have said. He's seeing this as an opportunity to take advantage of his son-in-law again. He's like, this guy is such an idiot. He just keeps playing into my hands. This is like such a weird ask. This would be like, I, I heard one other pastor uh, give this uh, illustration. I can't, I can't take credit for it because it's so brilliant. Uh, he said, uh, it'd be like if you worked at a Cadillac dealership and your boss was really unjust, he was a terrible person to work for, but you made a deal with him and you said, you know what, don't pay me. But every time a Kia comes on the lot, I get to sell the Kia and keep the profits, right? And the boss is like, well, how often is that going to happen? Yeah, okay, great, sure, whatever. And then every day, another Kia got dropped off, and another one, and another one, and another one. And that Cadillac dealer became the most Kia-selling place in the entire world. And all of a sudden, it switches over from being a Cadillac dealership to a Kia, Kia dealership. And then all of a sudden, you're rich because of the deal that you made. That's essentially what's about to happen to Jacob, he goes, "Give me the ones that are spotted, blemished, the, the black sheep's of the of the flock. Let me take the ones that aren't perfect, that aren't great, the ones that we're not using to shear the wool off of, the ones that we're not, you know, relying on. I'll take those and I'll start my little side project. It'll be like Jacob's Spotted Lambs and Blemished Sheep's Ink, <laughs> right? I'm gonna be a mogul, right? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the guy known for. You want a spotted sheep? You come see Jacob, right? I'm gonna be the guy." <laughs> And, uh, and so he makes this deal, and Laban's thinking, this is fantastic. Like, he's not going to get anything. Like, this is the genetic abnormality. These aren't common. These aren't the, the, what makes up. Th- we're talking about a very small percentage of his flocks. Now, if you were a shepherd in that time, and you were ready to check out, you were ready to kind of move on with your life, you would actually probably deserve about half of the flock as your payment. And so what Jacob is asking for seems crazy right? Someone who had grown that flock out to the size it was would get a huge payment when they were to walk away from it, and Jacob has given that away and asked for just a very small percentage of the spotted ones, and the broken ones, and the messed up ones, and the black sheeps of the thing. It goes on, uh, verse 35. That same day, Laban removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted, and all the speckled or spotted female goats, all that had white on them, and all the dark colored lambs, and he placed them in the care of his sons, and he put a three-day journey between himself and Jacob while Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. <sighs> Tricked again. Laban's like, "Great, cool. Great, great idea. Yeah, all right, you know what? We'll drop the paperwork, quick. Hey guys, go grab all the spotted ones, take them out, go three days ahead, get out of here. So when he goes through the flocks, there's none. He's just essentially extorted more years out of Jacob. In other words, in other, in other words, for him to find any of these in the flocks. It's going to take him years of breeding more animals for him to get the wages that he's deserved in the deal that he struck. Okay, so Laban, again, has shown his hand. He is a deceiver. He is going to take advantage of anyone he can. He's going to be all about himself. He is not looking at Jacob like one of his sons. He sent his sons to go and take all the stuff out and move them along, get them three days ahead of the herd, and get them away so Jacob couldn't have them. And what this means is that Jacob now essentially has made another deal to work another section of time so that he could build up his own, his own flocks. So he's got 14 years invested in working for free, and now he's going to do another six. Before he's done, he's going to have 20 years invested where he hasn't received anything in the first 14 years, and he's only going to get a small percentage of the flock in the last six, or that would be how it should work, but then God steps in, right? So here we go. It says, Jacob, however took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees and made white stripes on them by peeling bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed and peeled the branches in the watering troughs so that they would be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat, came to drink, look, take your notes right now if you're trying to figure out how to breed uh, sheeps. Uh, they made it in front of the branches. This is going to get a little PC here. Uh, and they bore young that that were streaked or speckled or spotted jacob set apart the young of the flock by themselves but made the rest face the streaked and dark colored animals that belonged to laban thus he made separate flocks for himself and did not put them with laban's animals whenever the stronger females were in heat jacob would place the branches in the troughs in front of the animals so that they would mate near the branches but if the animals were weak he would not place them there so the weak animals went to laban and the strong ones went to jacob and in this way the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. I have, is there anyone here who knows anything about what that means? I mean, I researched this. <laughs> I went looking. As far as we can tell from what we can understand about what this all means, essentially this is um, a superstitious act by Jacob that really has no effect on what should be created out of a flock. There is nothing here that makes sheep have more spotted or it just it's not a thing. Essentially, Jacob is trying to to be mad scientist and kind of make it happen. And yet God essentially is stepping in and going, I'm just going to continue to increase your numbers and give you what you need and to make it grow and for you to be prosperous. And I'm done blessing Laban. I'm now in the business of blessing you. That's essentially what it comes down to. So if you're taking notes, you don't need to go get poplar trees and almond trees and cut them and make them look spotted and stick them in the troughs and keep the sheep away and point them in what You don't have to do any of that. You just got to trust God that he's going to fall through and he's going to prosper you. And in fact, God starts to pay him back for his 14 years of lost wages. That's essentially what's going on here. He's going to walk away with 20 years of wages in a six-year period. He's going to walk away with God restoring to him what should have been given to him during that time and to take away from laban what laban had extorted from him during that time god is the one who brings justice into our lives we don't need to work for justice we need to trust god and have faith in him when you're in a situation where you want desperately to have justice and you try to force it we see in these lives of these people every time we force it it goes nowhere and every time they step back and say all right god you're in charge you're in control we're going to see in just a second that that's kind of where jacob ends up here then God starts to do it. God starts to be the one that brings those things into, uh, into balance. And sometimes we don't get justice in this life, but understand everything is perfectly just in the next life. So even if you don't get what you're looking for now, that day still comes. Judgment still comes for each person. It comes for you, and it comes for the people that create injustice in your life. And so we have to trust God and allow him to do his work. And that's what happens. He gets restored to him the 14 years that were lost. Uh, going on to ver- chapter 31, verse 1. Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belongs to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, okay? Now, the question here is, has God been speaking to Jacob all along and he's not been listening? Like, has has Jacob not been focused in on what God wants to say? And Now, he's starting to turn. Now, there's years and years of growing up here for Jacob. We see last week, that he's not doing a great job being a husband. He's not doing a great job being a father. But now 14, 15, 16, 17 years have passed, and he's starting to learn to listen to the God who wants to be with him and bless him and show him what to do. And so finally now the Lord is speaking to him. But the question is, was the Lord speaking to him all along? And he wasn't listening. He wasn't paying attention. He wasn't tuned in. I don't know. I think God speaks to us all the time. I think the Holy Spirit is constantly speaking to us. And often we turn it off. We turn it off. Or we turn it off. Or we turn it off. Or whatever. We're not listening. We're focusing on our own agenda, our own stuff. We're doing our own thing. And God is like trying to get your attention. He's trying to speak to you. It's like those moments where we get outside of ourselves and we start to pay attention to what God's doing. Often this happens when we're in crisis. All of a sudden now we want to listen to what God has to say because now things in our life aren't going great. Or we're Uh, in a place where we don't know how to deal with something and we feel like helpless. And now we want to listen to God all day long. But when things are going good and when we're kind of doing our own thing and doing our own plan, we don't pay attention sometimes. And God is speaking. He's speaking to you. He's put his Holy Spirit in you. If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And God is speaking to you all the time. Will you stop and pay attention and listen? So the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and your relatives, and I will be with you. She says, I want you to go back and get murdered by your brother, but don't worry. That's not going to happen because I'm with you. right? Like He's probably afraid to go home. He's probably afraid to go see what Esau is going to want to do to him when he shows up. He's probably not super excited about what God's called him to do, but God promises that he'll be with him. And that's the most promised thing in the Bible. That's what God says the most to us. When I call you to do something, I'm going to be with you. You don't have to do it on your own. I'm going to call you to do it. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you through it. And so Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were, and he said to them, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. Now look what's going on here. This is a glimmer of hope we talked about last week. We would love to see Jacob at some point start to take leadership over his family And start to figure out things between his wives. It's not a great situation. But he's got to lead. He's got to step up and say, here's how we're going to function in this dysfunctional family that we have. Here's how we're going to do things. And there's always a chance for you to turn and repent and change and go in the direction that God wants you to go. And he hasn't chosen it yet. But look now. God's spoken to him. And he calls his wives out. And he begins talking about what God is calling them to do. Finally, he's leading. Finally, he's saying, look, this is where this family is going. We're going to listen to God, and we're going to do what he's called us to do. And you know, a great, when you as a husband or when you as a leader, potentially, are sharing something that God has shared with you, you want to see that thing be confirmed. There's a lot of ways God confirms it, through his word, through people that we trust. In this case, hopefully his wives are going to confirm what God has been talking to him about. And it goes on in verse 8, however, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away your father's livestock, and he has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw the male goats mating with the flock were streaked and speckled and spotted. And the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, I, I answer, here I am. And he said, look up and see all the male goats mating with the flock, are streaked, speckled, spotted, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. God is the one that reached out to Jacob and gave him a dream and showed him that he was with him and gave him a way out. And then it says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. He's basically saying, God has been saying to him, remember the God that your father was worshiping, the one that you encountered on your way to this land, and that off the beaten path area where you set up you know that that pillar and where you made a vow you know to to follow this god hey this is me pay attention i'm leading you and he's hoping that as he shares this with his wives that they will come full circle and they will confirm this is what god is calling us to do and this is an incredibly sad verse verse 14 and 16 then rachel and leah replied Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you to do. You know, in this story, you have sort of three fathers here. You've got Laban who is a bad father. At some point, his daughters wake up to the idea that they were raised by someone who doesn't care about them. Someone who is willing to sell them, someone who is willing to extort from them, someone who is willing to take not only from them, but from their kids, from from the next generation, their grandchildren. And I just want to stop and say, this is a really sensitive situation because there's maybe a time in your life where you had a realization that you know what my father wasn't the best person in the world That when my father had a chance he chose himself or when he had a chance he chose alcohol or when he had a chance he beat us or when he had a chance he verbally abused us we don't all get perfect fathers in this world in fact many of us get really bad fathers that's the situation that these daughters have been living in their whole life and now finally there's a second father Jacob, who's starting to get it. He's starting to figure out what it means to follow God. He's starting to say, God's speaking to me. I'm going to lead this family. I'm going to bring you guys into the conversation. I'm going to share the load here. We're going to do this together as a family. Follow me. I can do this. He's starting to grow in his ability to be a father and a husband. And then there's a third father in this story. There's this perfect father who is incredibly faithful to people who are so messed up. There is this God who has been blessing Laban in spite of him being a terrible human because of his association with Jacob, who's now started to bless Jacob's family even though they have their issues in warts, who's incredibly faithful to people no matter what. And if you grew up in a house where your relationship with your dad was a struggle for you, there is a perfect father who loves you, who sees you, who wants justice for you, who wants to care for you, who wants to give you, what you need, who wants to be with you when he calls you to do stuff, who gives you purpose, who loves you. This is the father. This is the father that we want. Our, fa- our, our fathers on earth aren't perfect, but there's this heavenly father who wants to give us these incredible gifts, this gift of relationship, this gift of purpose, this, the gifts that he gives us to use in service to him. And that's the perfect father that's available to us, even when we're messed up, even when we don't do what's right, even when we can't get out of our own way, even when we are just sabotaging everything in our life and all the relationships in our, in our family, God is still there. He's still with us. He's still walking alongside. He's waiting for us to make the right decision. He's encouraging us to move in the right direction. He's telling you, I love you. I want you to do this. You can do it. I'm with you. Right? This is the father that the Bible offers to us, this relationship that's available and I think sometimes we get hung up on the situation that we grew up in or we have excuses to not move forward because we've been hurt in the past or we've, been, we've dealt with really difficult things. Guess what? I've talked to all of you, okay? More than half of this room is dealing with incredibly difficult things in your past. Many of us have been injured, have been damaged, have been hurt by people in our lives. Many of us are carrying around trauma that we haven't dealt with, that we're not going to want to deal with, that we kind of want to stay away from. There's a father here who wants to work some of that stuff out and wants to deal with you and heal you and get you to a place where you understand what it means to be loved by a perfect father. That's what he's offering to us. That's what he offers to Jacob and to Rachel and to Leah and to their grandkids and to everyone. Now, this story continues on where Jacob basically leaves in the middle of the night, doesn't tell Laban where he's going, runs away with everything he's got. And it says Laban tracks him down, chases him down, and Laban gets a really strategic position over him. And Laban's about to basically take his revenge on Jacob for running away. And it says God stops Laban and tells him, don't touch Jacob. He comes down. They have a little meeting. And before long, they've worked out uh, a blessing from Laban to the family, to his daughters, to the grandchildren, and he releases them. To go. Even when you find yourself in an incredibly difficult situation and you see no way out, there's a God who protects you. There's a God who's with you. There's a God who gives you a way out. That's what's available to us. And so God has called us to understand that His character is a perfect Father, that He loves us, that He wants to be in relationship with us, that He'll be with us, that He'll guide us, that He'll give us what we need. That's what's available. Sometimes we step back and we don't want to take it because we've got issues with our own dads. or We've got issues with the way we've been hurt or the trauma that we're carrying. He wants to heal those things and let us move on into this relationship. This is the life that's offered to us by a God who loves us, who created us, who wants to be with us. Will we accept it? That's the question. And Jacob is learning how to respond to God. He's learning how to accept it. We're going to see next week where he goes all in on chasing, pursuing God. Let me pray and close our time here. God, thank you that you are not just a good father. You are a perfect father. God, I just pray for anyone here who's uh, struggling with the thought of the father they grew up with. of The damage done in relationships, of the, the trauma that they've dealt with. God, I pray that you would draw close to them right now that you would begin to heal even now some of the stuff that they've carried. God, we know that uh, we are very imperfect, which means we don't get perfect dads. We don't get perfect families. God, you've called us to, to persevere anyways and to follow you, the perfect father. God, I pray that you'd show us what that looks like in our own lives, what traumas we need to process, what things we need to let go of, what lies we've begun to believe about ourselves. God, that you would show us some of those places where we're held back where we're not fully healed, where we're still holding on to some of these, uh, these griefs and these issues, God? And would you just show us what it looks like to move forward in those places? Would you help us to get out of our own way to make choices to follow you, God? Would you, would you just show us what it looks like to take steps in our relationship the way that we see Jacob finally starting to take steps? Would you show us, give us hope for a future? Would you show us what it looks like to be whole and healthy and healed and listening to your spirit and following you? And everything that we do. Thank you for being with us, for giving us purpose, for calling us to something. God, would you help us to grab hold of that, not to take that for granted. In Jesus' name, amen.